This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits Today, at netsuite.com. It's Wednesday, December 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got delivery news. We have a surprising deal in the beer industry. We're going to start with the revolving door in the C-suite at a couple of companies. Let's start with Alphabet. Co-founder Larry Page is stepping down as CEO. He's going to be replaced by Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of Alphabet's Google division, also known as overwhelmingly the most important division to Alphabet. Sergey Brin, the other co-founder, is giving up his title of president. Both of them, both Brin and Page, are going to remain on the board. And shares of Alphabet are up about two percent. That feels right to me, just because Pichai's been more involved in the day-to-day operations of the business than Larry Page has been, and this is about as smooth a CEO transition as someone could hope for. Yeah, in the world of major companies announcing CEO and president departures in one day, and founders from operating the operating side of the business, I'd say this is the smallest piece of news you could probably have. You know, in in that, as you say, Pichai has been there for years, basically doing the job that he's now going to get the the more official title for um, running. Uh, Google, which includes the YouTube um, operations, is 98% of 99, I think, percent of the revenue of the company. So, the other bets, which is seems to have been more interesting to the founders' time, but not really interesting to investors' results, uh, you know, has is maybe that's still going to be where uh, Page and or Bryn spend a little bit of time if if they do. But 20 years, that's about actually what Gates spent um, ahead of Microsoft, and um, you know, you've got a full life ahead of you to do. Amazing things uh, without having to keep doing the operations of something you've been a success at for a couple of decades. And obviously, Ruth Porat, the CFO, who's been there for a little over four years, she is still there. Um, so, in terms of, again, the running of the business, um, the execution of the quarterly conference calls, all that sort of thing, you've got the t- arguably the two most important people who have been the two most important people for a couple of years now. And I get that, from an investing standpoint, the most important thing, quarter after quarter, is how is Google doing? How is YouTube doing? What is the cost per click? Like all of that. I get that. That's the most important thing. But I do think with this transition, the most interesting thing about Alphabet becomes the other bets division, because Ruth Porat, in particular, has demonstrated in the past she is willing to throw a little bit of shade at parts of the business that aren't doing well. Um, and I'm not expecting Pichai to come in there and say, "All right, we're going to start slashing the other bets division." But it will be interesting to see in six to twelve months if investments get pared back, if entire projects get abandoned, uh, or if some of these bets start to take off. Yeah, I think that it comes down to capital allocation and investor communication. And Google has 
not been outstanding in breaking out the results of the other bets, and they've been a little bit shy on on putting numbers on certain things. And so there is at least some speculation out there in the market, and this may be why the stock is up two percent, that. Uh, you're going to get a little bit more disclosure from management on uh, some of the a little bit more granularity on some of these things. If so, uh, then that increases, I guess, the sort of pressure from the outside, uh, the available pressure that investors can bring on the company to allocate capital toward things like buybacks instead of. Other bets, which uh, may be pet projects that aren't really as uh, investor-oriented as you know, founder-oriented. I've always assumed that the lack of granularity on the other bets was for two basic reasons: one, we don't have to. We don't have to give you this information, and two, probably more importantly, we're protecting the people involved in these projects because if the results were amazing or things actually were taking off. Then they probably would be sharing that stuff. Yeah, quite possibly. And and if this is not something that uh, new management has to protect, and 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 uh, this is speculation that there will be more disclosure, or or at least the possibility of more disclosure. It was at least uh, you know accepted at this point that we were not going to get much disclosure on the rest of the operations. Uh, so more information. Would be better for investors. They might value the company at the margins slightly higher, uh, with more ability to make predictions on the company. And of course, they've got plenty of cash available to buy back shares. They haven't uh, fulfilled their current um, buyback authorization. They have bought back a significantly higher amount this year than last year, but still, they're they're lagging what they could be doing. And there is at least some argument that that's a better way to allocate capital than to, you know, fill in the blank on the other bets. Expedia is also looking for new management because CEO Mark Okerstrom and Chief Financial Officer Alan Pickerel have resigned. Uh, Chairman Barry Diller uh, is basically going to be uh, helping to run things on an interim basis. And I think this is as simple as. A clash between Diller and his CEO and CFO, and essentially, they were shown the door, which is as as I was saying to you earlier today. It's oddly refreshing to me. I realize that that probably may sound cavalier, but for the number of times I've had to come into this studio and talk about a CEO who's leaving under some type of scandal or cloud, and in this case, it appears to be. The chairman saying, I don't like how you're running this company. And you can either run it the way I want you to run it, or you can go and add Orchestrum and Pickerel to the list of people who have gone up against Barry Diller and lost. Yeah, I think that that's accurate um, in terms of who is the power in the company and has been and will continue to be, and uh, who has the ear of the board. Uh, and even though. Uh, uh, CEO uh, Ockerstrom was on the board, um, and uh, I don't know, may might still be. I don't, I don't know. I didn't see that part of the announcement. Um, it's you know Diller's board. He's he's the one who's chosen uh, who's on the board, and it's an interesting board. And um, they are beholden to him, not to the CEO. 
So, Expedia's stock is up about 7% this morning. It had dropped about 30% in the last couple of months off of bad results, bad guidance. Is this a job someone should want? Uh, interesting question. I think it depends on if probably they have a past relationship with Diller, and many do, and there have been a lot of successful alliances with Diller. So I think that that will be his on his shopping list is the people that he knows and trusts and see his vision, which is one more of growth. Than what Expedia was indicating, which was one more of efficiency, and I think they're getting increased competition from Google. The SEO expenses were something that they pointed to as an increasing headwind. It's a competitive space. They've got, I mean, most many of the names that you associate with online hotels. Uh, and and so I think that uh, there's plenty of opportunity still there, uh, but you definitely want to be uh, part of Diller's growth vision uh, if if you're going to take the job, and you're not going to be offered the job if you're not on board. Postmates, the food delivery startup, had filed paperwork earlier this year to go public, and too late. No one should hold their <laughs> breath waiting for that IPO. Postmates announced it is closing its office in Mexico City and laying off dozens of employees. And this is thanks WeWork. <laughs> for anyone who was wondering what ripple effects, if any, existed for the implosion of WeWork over the last few months. This is on the list, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is a it, well. It's not just WeWork, but the Uber and Lyft. Some, uh, you know, a business plan which is we can lose lots of money fast while growing fast, and we'll figure it out down the road. You know, Postmates is is sort of a, a distant fourth, I guess, uh, behind uh, Grubhub, Uber Eats, and um, DoorDash, and growing. And, you know, there's the whole category is growing, but none of it is profitable yet. And the appetite to fund that kind of growth with no clear profitability in the near-term future uh, evaporated. Um, and as you say, WeWork, which really doesn't seem to have you know a business plan that that could survive without vast amounts of capital. Um, I, I think maybe there's more of an opportunity here. But uh, look, they're they're on the um, you know they're putting themselves up for sale right now. That is. Uh, uh, not, not WeWork, although that might be up for sale as well. But Postmates, Postmates, yeah. So, it's. I find it interesting that you you got Bastian Lehman, who's the the CEO of Postmates, and you know saying like, look, this industry is not a winner take all market. Um, and I get that, and I'm not suggesting that it necessarily. When you're number four, yeah, that's a good that's a good line <laughs> yeah, to, just to try to sell. Yeah, I mean, and and I I think he's right, but I also think that it's. Um, maybe it's not a zero sum game where there's only one winner, but there's probably only a couple of winners. Um, and it looks like Postmates increasingly is not going to be one of them. 
no, I mean they've they've got a long way to go, but it's a consolidating industry, and a lot of you know the, the growth of uh, Grubhub and DoorDash has been acquiring uh, smaller players. So there's that possibility uh, for Grubhub in particular, if they could scrounge up the money to regain some market share, which they have been shedding uh, quite rapidly to DoorDash. Uh, but I don't know that they've got the cash. I don't know that there's, you know, the the public markets are not going to fund this. Private equity, I don't see it being attractive there. So not a great time to sell yourself. Uh, you know, had they been able to get in there in the first half of the year, I'm sure they they would still be sitting on some of the cash that they would have raised at that time. Uh, at this point, you know, the clock is ticking pretty loud, and they have responded by shutting down some of their operations. And I would um, imagine that uh, shutting down more is on on the horizon as well. I'm glad you mentioned private equity because this is a little in the weeds, but it is worth pointing out. I think that that is yet another ripple effect of what we've seen in 2019 with some of these IPOs not really working out well. Uh, the implosion of WeWork, and so increasing. You have private equity firms less likely to extend themselves to the Postmates of the world. Yeah, I mean they are, especially when the business model is one which doesn't look like it's going to be appealing to the public markets anytime soon. I mean, private equity is happy to get in there, throw some cash in, and then get out in a you know a public offering. But that is not the path going forward here. Before we get to the beer industry deal, quick shout out to NetSuite. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business, and that's the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers. The patchwork quilt of business systems, one for accounting, one for sales, one for inventory. It's inefficient, it takes too much time, and that hurts the bottom line. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control that you need to grow. You save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. And that is why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite's offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. You can find it at netsuite.com fool, particularly if you're an executive at Postmates, you might want to take advantage of this. NetSuite.com fool. Download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. NetSuite.com fool. It was four years ago this month that Constellation Brands bought Ballast Point Brewing Company for $1 billion. And today, comes the news that Constellation has sold Ballast Point Brewing to another brewing company. Is it Anheuser-Busch or Molson Coors? No, it's Kings and Convicts. What is that, you may ask? Well, it's a tiny brewery in the suburbs of Chicago that started two years ago. And Speaking of protecting people, as we were earlier about protecting the other bets divisions at Alphabet, Probably protecting the people at Constellation Brands that part of this agreement to sell Ballast Point to this tiny brewery is that the price is not disclosed. Is there any way it's over $100 million? That can't possibly be the case, can it? Uh, I did. Yes. 
Okay, yes, it could be. Yes, it could be. And then in that case, Constellation only had to write off 88% of what they spent on Ballast Point. I, I think it could be more than that. Uh, so in, in 2016, Ballast Point was doing uh, 430,000 barrels uh, a year. It's doing about uh, 200,000 uh, for 2019. So actual business is a little bit less than half. Uh, let's say you overpaid at a billion, obviously you're pricing in some growth. Um, what the price was here is a, is a good question, but it is interesting uh, that a company as small as this now it's backed by somebody with with money, so the you know the company, Kings and Convicts. And by the way, nice name. That's a good name. That's a good name. Oh yeah, well done. But I, the 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 craft brewing industry you know runs into. The difficult math equation that you know you buy something you expect to grow it a lot. Well, the bigger a craft and brewery grows, the less attractive it is to a large percentage of the people who like to point out that they're drinking something that you haven't heard of. Right? I mean that that's the the beer industry is contracting and not growing, and the craft industry can only grow so much any individual brand before it becomes. Too big to be trendy to a large chunk of of those you know uh, those beer drinkers, so I don't know how you solve that math equation. Boston Beer has done a reasonably good job of it, but they've run into problems at times, and you know you've seen them lose two thirds, three quarters of their uh, market value. They're back, uh, I think, to an all time high. The previous all time high was twenty fifteen, which is when this sale originally happened. So there was everything was going straight up. And to the right on any chart for any craft brewer in 2015, you saw a big contraction in valuations in 2017, 2018. Certainly, Boston Beer back to uh, you know getting things done pretty well this year. Uh, so I don't know if I don't know that they're selling at the bottom here. Um, Kings and Convicts it'd be interesting to you know they're now on the map. They are, but you mentioned Boston Beer. That's a stock. You're right. It absolutely has had its struggles over the past decade, but over the past two years, it's doubled. And maybe the valuation is out of whack, but I don't know. I think if you're someone who's looking to possibly add a beer stock to your portfolio, I don't see how you put Constellation Brands on your watch list. Not after what this company has done. Over the last couple of years, the investment they made in canopy growth, um, there's no way you can look at the Ballast Point acquisition as anything other than a huge financial mistake. And you just have to wonder what management is doing because Constellation Brands had grown to the point where they were known for doing this type of thing, but doing it well. It's like, oh, we've got this portfolio of brands, we'll help expand. Uh, the audience, and uh, once you come into our network, we're we're going to grow your business and grow our own profits. And this is the ex- exact opposite. There's no, uh, I, I mean, the price is going to come out at some point, and I, I've got a trip to Starbucks that says it's under a hundred million dollars. Uh, so, Constellation Brands still uh, about a thirty-five billion dollar company. So. Let's call it a complete failure, a billion-dollar mistake. That's, you know, awful 
that is three percent of the business. It's meaningful. I think the the other investments are, are more problematic. Some of the more recent ones. Um, so, yes, not a good day for Constellation Brands, but they've got a lot of very much more stable brands in house. Uh, you know, that are much more mass market. Maybe that's where they should. You know. Continue to focus on the the larger mass market brands that they have than the. I agree. The small. That's why I thought it was so baffling that they <laughs> invested four billion in canopy growth. Uh, yes, well, that's that is the next <laughs> the next thing on the list of things for which they need to answer. If any uh, listeners in the greater Chicago area um, want to drop us an email, marketfoolery at fool com would love. To get any color on kings and convicts. Um, also, I meant to mention this the other day. Uh, any any listeners in the Houston area or Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, if, if you want to test out that McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich and and give us your boots on the ground research, we'd appreciate it. Uh, email us marketfoolery at fool.com. Real quick before we wrap up, uh, we've been we were talking yesterday with our colleague Maria Gallagher. About uh, Christmas movies, the Hallmark Channel, that sort of thing. I spent a little time this morning uh, on the Hallmark Channel website, trying to think because I had mentioned sort of in an offhand way, without really doing any research or thinking through what I was saying. Uh, longtime listeners are not surprised. Uh, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and um, and live tweet that. Having spent a little time on the website and looking at the offerings, I don't think I can do that. No, uh, uh, no, they they look. Uh, they are uh, movies uh, that untweetable. Are, uh, it's not that they're untweetable. I just think it would be. Uh, just really painful to sit through those movies and watch. I, I, I just don't think I could do it. No, let us uh, admit ahead that we don't really know what we're talking about because we haven't seen any of these movies, and they're beloved by many people. They are, and and, and who are we to mock what, what other people love? I mean, I won't. You might. It sounds like that's where you're going. Well, it's like I was saying uh, the other. Don't day. get defensive about that. I say go straight forward. <laughs> Stick with it. Don't apologize. Uh, it's like I was saying the other Question day. Question other people's choices about uh, the radio stations that flip to the you know the holiday format in early November. I don't begrudge them that. That makes money for them. That's that's smart. You know, I don't want to listen to it, and that's why we we have our campaign every December to broaden the horizons of of holiday music tastes out there. So uh, right now we're and this is where you often chime in that listeners who are, came here for the business news can tune out because oh, yeah, there won't stop. be any more. Yeah, we're done. This is sort of a, a preview of of apropos of nothing at yes. this point. But what I was thinking of rather than doing any research on it was. What would a lightly fictionalized version of, say, you and your life in one of these movies look like? Oh, because I think it lends itself spectacularly. I, I see you as being in a small town in Maine, yeah, your your own hometown, sure. probably, and um, you know, uh, a, a lightly fictionalized version of, of your wife shows up, very you know, attractive and intelligent, and and um, she's she's been. Thrown some sort of a curveball by the big city, and finds herself in in your small town, in Maine, where you are, I think, you know, a podcast host, <laughs> and and um, also probably run a, a some sort of a gazebo repair shop. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I'm I'm thinking the last time I was in my hometown, 
I don't recall seeing a gazebo anywhere. And I was think, it snowing? Uh, no, it was not snowing. It was it was uh, warmer weather. So so no, doesn't I, sound like a good movie at all. Yeah. What what if we throw a little snow into this picture? Yeah, I mean, if it's going to be a holiday picture, you'll need you'll need some snow, and we'll do. But I mean, look, I think you're also the high school basketball coach, and um, maybe doing a little stand up at the local comedy club as well. And, and how can I do that when I've got my gazebo repair shop? <laughs> Well, the podcast. What is the podcast? That's like an hour a week, something like that. Yeah, basically. I mean, basically, that's that. kind of what it is now. <laughs> and, so. and the gazebo repair shop's a little bit seasonal. Um, no, I think you got time to, to do all this stuff. Um, the I will say this though, and and you mentioned this uh, yesterday when we were chatting with Maria. The Hallmark Channel does seem to attract name actors, and just clicking through the site, the one the one that sort of leaped out at me, where I was like, okay, if if I've if I've got uh, you know, I've got to watch something. This Sunday, there's a movie called Christmas at Dollywood, and Dolly Parton is in it. And I mean, she, you know, she's in the Hall of Fame, and so it's like, all right, I would, I would watch that. Let's go to our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, who is, probably is, has is some he waving. On this. <laughs> so, listening to Bill's description of this film about Chris's life. Uh, one, you got it on the nose for how terrible and contrived all of these movies are. Oh, you have And like experience. how formulaic uh, they are. And uh, I just want to add one thing that I think would make this movie watchable. And if it was, uh, because it's set in Maine, yeah. uh, if Stephen King wrote it, <laughs> then, then I'd be like, okay, I'll give that one a shot. Oh, yeah. If, uh, how great would that be if the Hallmark Channel just went to Stephen King and said, look, man, anything, you, carte blanche. Any whatever script, you want to do, whatever you want to write, we will produce it exactly <laughs> the way you write it. That would be a genius move. I think any what I what I would look for here from listeners, the one or two of them that might still be listening at this point, is a who plays Chris in the movie. I think your name is probably like Christopher Hall or something in in this. You know, some some lightly tweaked version, and and also what the name of it is. What is the name of I don't know, one? Bill. And, and I think there's a... There's I don't know. As, as far as generic names go, Chris Hill is, is near the top of no, the list. No, it's got to be close, but not exact, because it's slightly fictionalized. It, it's got to oh, be okay. recognizable, okay. but but he's All not right. an exact copy. Like, for instance, you are not currently coaching basketball. Right. Though you could coach the high school basketball because team. Because here's the, here's the thing, and yeah, it, just to bring it back to business for one second, if they're using my exact name, uh, Hallmark has got to cut me a check, and they don't want to do that. Okay, but who, you plays, could be, who plays Chris in this movie? You could be Christopher Hallmark. There you go. In, in the movie, and and what I the name of it is, and there's got to be something cute with some sort of tweak on both, you know, Christmas obviously, or the season, or Mary, or whatever, and, and some sort of podcasting um, thing reference in in the title. I think it's possible we'll get suggestions. William H Macy. And yeah, and <laughs> thank ooh, you. There's a, no, no. It's, it's got to be a little bit younger. I think. William H Macy. I mean, I mean you we're playing. We're playing you at twenty. Eight to thirty-five. I mean, what's what's the demographic for the Hallmark viewers? They're 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 looking, they're not looking to have, have William uh, Macy. You know, they're not. They would be checking in. What are you have, talking about? He's a fantastic as the romantic actor. He is, but as the romantic lead, I might. I bet if you turn on the Hallmark Channel right now and see who the romantic male lead is, it's somebody. 
25 years younger than William Macy. That's all I'm saying. I, I think that's that's the way you, you play those things. Well, and I, hope, what, I hope William Macy isn't listening to this podcast I'll, because you're you're just completely completely dumpstering him I, right now. I'm I'm not at all. I'm a big fan. Uh, I I just uh, I think that uh, we're looking for somebody slightly slightly more leading man than character actor for this role. I see it. Here's the reward for people who have hung in and are actually listening. What's the prize going to be for all the winner? All for the, the winner. No prizes. Uh, M Fam will throw something in. Oh, okay. We've got like a mug or something. Um, is uh, Dan Boyd's uh, selection of holiday music? You know what your podcast could be about? It could be a review of aromatic candles, uh, such as one might buy at uh, Bath and Body Works. I feel like this movie might actually kill people with boredom if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> Between the gazebo repair shop and the aromatic candle podcast. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's get out of here. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in The Motley Fool. May have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm gonna hold myself instead of someone this Christmas I'm gonna take my hand and be my own best friend I'm gonna love myself instead of someone else this Christmas
just tinsel in me It's Christmas all over again Sleep under the tree Just tinsel in me Over and over again Sleep under the tree Just tinsel in me Christmas